0: I'm Dr. Montserrat Andres. Welcome to Hey Doc Podcast, a space where we chat, laugh, and share stories of Black, Indigenous, and POC healthcare providers. We inspire young folks to become doctors, deepen connection in our community, and dive into the complexities of our stories. This podcast is designed to be listened to, watched, liked, and shared. While you're listening, pop over to Instagram and TikTok to see photos, quotes, and these doctors busting a move. And don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode and please leave us a review. All right, let's get started. Love Jones, kick us off with a beat. Claudia,
1: welcome to the
0: podcast.
1: How are Aww. you? I'm doing really good. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> Excited. So,
0: yeah, me too. I know. I was like, oh, we get to get this uh, conversation recorded. This is wonderful. <laughs> Um, so this is Claudia Cuentas, and um, I would love for you to introduce yourself so that people can um, hear from your own voice the things that you do in this world, um, and if you could say your name and maybe the way that you would say it in a professional setting versus the way you would say it, like, with your family and friends.
1: <laughs> um My name is Claudia Cuentas Oviedo. I am a therapist here in Portland. I am also a somatic experiencing therapist and trauma recovery therapist. Um, I I am a Peruvian woman. I identify as uh, uh, cisgender. I identify also as queer, um, bisexual. Um, I go by she, her, hers. And I am an Aymara, Quechua and Mestizo woman um, from the Andes of Peru, born and raised in Peru. And I've been here in the Pacific Northwest, in Portland, specifically uh, for five years.
0: Yeah, and we're so glad that you are. <laughs> it's been such a treasure to have you here. Thank you. <laughs> um, so I'm curious, um, I know that you uh, keep yourself busy with a lot of things. What are your hobbies?
1: Oh, lately going on walks. I'm not sure if that is a hobby or a (laughs) self-care piece. Going on walks, going on hikes, um, looking at the birds. I love birds. And especially now, just noticing the hummingbirds everywhere. Um, Always playing music. Always uh thinking and dreaming of music projects in my head all the time yeah i um one of
0: the things that i love when you know i go to your website the first thing that comes up is like all of your artistry is on full display. It's like the very first thing. And so you don't have to wonder if art plays an important role in your life. It's like front and center. It's just really evident, really beautiful. Mm -hmm. Um, And so with all of these interests and various interests, how did you end up becoming a therapist?
1: Ooh, (laughs) I I believe then everyone then, or I do have a feeling that everyone that enters a profession of of health in some way is looking for healing. And um, I didn't ever thought I will be a therapist. When I came to the States at 18, I um, eh, I was studying music at the music conservatory in Peru, in Lima for some years. And then I came to continue doing music and life just worked differently. Coming to a different country with a different language Without my family here, I had a, I have a few uncles and a an aunt here, then um, were very supportive, but they were not very uh, fond of me studying music. So there were a lot of I would say different pathways in life took me on, and um, but I was always interested in healing. Healing was this almost like music and healing and the power of art and healing and how art transforms people and makes emotion come forward and that is how healing and relieving that is that just became um, I guess the golden thread and took me through all these places and I did uh, education um, at the university and then I did movement and expressive art therapy and I did uh, how to teach people Spanish through art making and altar making and then Eventually, I said, well, I want to learn more about healing. So I want to have tools to be with people and eventually look at a master's in um, uh, psychology with an emphasis in theater and expressive art therapy. And I felt like that got closer and closer to a a feeling and a vision. It was really not that clear ever. (laughs) And I think it continues to unfold, (laughs) (laughs) truly, to be very honest. Yes. Yeah,
0: it it sounds like you already or you were gathering tools to do the things that you wanted to do instead of necessarily like wanting to do that one particular thing.
1: It feels like that. It um somehow when I arrived to Portland 5 years ago, I remember at some point feeling oh, that's how all that comes together. <laughs> <laughs> All that music and the theater and the learning about trauma and being with families and learning about working with children and working with parents and working with uh, undocumented communities and Latino communities and uh, diverse communities. Just everything just... It was kind of like, yes, like it feels like life kept saying, what about this? And what about that? And I kept always around healing and art as these two pillars and and I do feel I am more where I imagine than many many years ago but I it was a feeling it was never like a I will be a therapist like I don't it sounds like um. Uh, such a specific term in relationship to the diversity than we are as people so we are this diversity within, right, and so, but it's definitely closer to what I imagine the feeling will feel like right now.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, if that um, it. yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I'm like you're speaking my language. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I'm curious when um, you decided to um, pursue more healing arts and move away from music. Um, the part of your family that was not as keen on you studying music, were they more in favor of the healing arts track?
1: Not so much, I believe. I'm not sure, actually. I I do know that my family in Peru was really supportive of me studying music, and I come from a long lineage of activists and artists and musicians and... um, social justice activism and but my family here in the states and have been here for a long time had a lot of priorities regarding economic stability and looking forward for advancement in especially stability economic stability which we didn't have in peru very much Mm -hmm. Um, so their emphasis was specifically on make your make sure you have enough money to be well and help your family and I think they, they were imagining I will just be working, you know, I, I remember they even said, you know, don't study music, study, study cosmetology, do something quickly so then you can make some money and, and help your mom, you know? And I imagine, I mean, came from a place of care, but also at 18, you imagine the whole world opening up, and in a new country, new language, new possibilities, new challenges. Um, I couldn't conceive doing something like that. I kept, you know, I kept uh, uh, moving towards that feeling that I that I was mentioning before. And nowadays, I do believe that they're they feel proud and probably very surprised <laughs> than what I do and how well it's going. Um, and I hope they also feel very happy
0: for oh, me, I imagine true. they
1: do, I imagine they do, yes.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so when you, that was, that's a pretty big leap from Peru, just kind of really right at the equator.
1: Mm-hmm, yes, oh, the, the way it's <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah how was that for you that that transition that cultural shock?
1: It was a big shock <laughs> at eighteen um you know, coming from a specific high school, I was in the music conservatory with a big community with friends that I've known for all my life um with a lot of economic adversity, but also huge ideals for social justice and for, for life and for education and for everyone has the right to, to be and become and just very strong roots. And then coming to the United States and I just came to visit. I never thought I would stay this long ever, ever, ever. I thought, oh, I will go there for a few months, do this music program that I was invited to do learn some english and go home and then as i stay i just remember i have a a dear cousin of mine and he will take me to the to the city and tell me you know these neighborhoods for example i have a lot of poverty and i i look at the neighborhood going they have cars outside their houses like that's no poverty they're like houses with a, a garage and a porch like i like we come from shanty, you know, there are shanty towns in, in Peru where people has houses made up, out of cardboard and there's no electricity or a water systems and people have to work miles and miles to actually get to their homes on top of the mountains, you know, then the discrepancy of people on top of the mountains spending <laughs> having very expensive houses and people on the bottom of the mountains having these houses that are not so expensive. And in Peru, and, and it is so different, you know, you go... If you're on top of the mountains, you are probably no electricity, no water, no sewer, and there are these very precarious structures, you know. So the the concept of poverty was so different, and the concept of having or not having was so different and so shocking. And what what it meant to be well uh, economically was such a shock for me. It was so different. So, so, so different. Yes, I remember. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I can imagine.
0: So was that in the Tapala Institute that you got invited to participate in the program?
1: No, that was in Chico, California. I arrived first to ah. Chico, California, where ah. my uncle lived. And ah. um, my uncle, my aunt, and my two cousins were there. I went to Elate first to see... My mom's brother and sister. And then I went to Chico, California to see my other uncle and aunt, my other, my mom's other, older brother. And there I stay for the first uh, seven, six years, seven years almost before I went to the Bay Area and did that at uh, Tamalpa Institute, which was already on my seventh year here or so.
0: Oh, wow. Yeah. So yeah. that came way later. Yeah. Um, and how, how is was it different to study music in the program that you had been studying in Peru versus in Chico, California?
1: It was really interesting because in Peru at the, at the National Music Conservatory in Lima, my teacher was really strict. He was, he went to Germany to study and he was, he was my flute teacher since I was six and he was 18. I was one of his first students and he taught me flute uh, recorder first from six to 12 and then he went away and came back when I was 14, prepared me to go to the music conservatory and apply and I entered the music conservatory of Lima at 15. So between 15 and 18 I did high school and the music conservatory um, at the same time and it was really strict, really strict like I will If I didn't study well and I didn't sound perfect, he would be like, do it again. And I remember being at 15, 16, 17, like, oh, (laughs) do it again. You have to do it again. It has to come perfect. And then I came to Chico, California and I went into the music program. The second year I was here, eventually got into the program, No, excuse me, the third year and took classes with a teacher there. And the teacher will be like, oh, that sounds wonderful. Next, (laughs) I'll be like, no. I needed somebody to, you know, really get onto that edge and be like, hey, that's not good enough. You can do it better than that. Do it better than that. Mm-hmm. But my teacher at Chico State, um, my flute teacher, she just, she just thought that it sounded wonderful and I should do move on to the next and the next. And it was very discouraging. I remember too. It was like a cultural shock of, oh, Wow. That's, that feels like she doesn't care.
0: <laughs> if I'm in a dance class and my dance teacher compliments me, I'm like, you don't care. <laughs> you don't love me. <laughs> you don't want me to be a good dancer. Yeah, yeah. It's so exactly.
1: I it, it did change my desire to continue studying music there too because mm-hmm. I thought, wow, this person doesn't care and I, I'm not sure if music you know, I, I think I'm gonna go through education. So then I changed careers and when I had a BA in, in education.
0: Oh, yeah. that's how that happened.
1: That's how it happened. <laughs> <laughs>
0: um, and so then from education, then how did you decide to start your path into therapy?
1: I continue to be, um, as I did the education BA and did a minor in music, I was hired to do every summer to teach Spanish every summer to the B-clad students, which was teachers and were getting ready to be—excuse uh, me, students and were preparing to be teachers. They had to have this bilingual um, requirements. So I will teach in the in this immersion programs Spanish with a group of uh, teachers, uh, three or six-week immersion programs for students uh, before they graduated from university, and I always will create classes. Than had to do with something but the language or something but education. So it was really fun for me to go. Okay, let's teach them Spanish through art, through music, through cooking, through let's teach them altar making. But let's teach them Spanish, or they'll think that we're teaching them Spanish, but we're really teaching the teaching them about altar making and traditional traditions from South America and how people relates to um, life and the invisible, their desires, their dreams. So. I continue on after doing that, continued on to develop certain classes in different elementary schools and middle schools and they invited me to teach music as well, programs. And I wanted to, again, it wasn't about teaching, it was about the art or, or communicating something in relationship to art. So I decided to apply to the school, Tamalpa Institute in the Bay Area. And I was able to get a scholarship, fortunately. And I started my movement and expressive art therapy program. And that kind of launched me to the beginnings of these more concrete therapeutic approach to, to being with people, yeah.
0: So I was looking this program up and I was like, this sounds like one of the most transformative spaces I could imagine getting an education. What was it like to be in this program?
1: It was amazing. It was like a dream come true. Classes were Monday through Friday, 10 to 5. I think Wednesdays were half day. And you were there every day for three, four months. The first um, portion of it, or the first four months were exploring self. So it's like you will go through body mythology and unlock different information you had. It was all based on movement drawing, and writing, and how with those three elements you could explore your own self-narrative to understand the patterns that your head holds, your face. So it's gestalt-based, you know, um, uh, from this um, this venue of... Uh, Fritz Perl's Gestalt and the inquiry of the body. You know, all these inquiries now we we talk about very commonly of the body keeps the score, but from a place of let's somatically enter and imprint art and poetry uh, based on what we find. And in that way, find a a new narrative or an ancient narrative that exists in your body, in your legs, in your arms, in your hands, in your voice, in your ribcage in your pelvic area like tell us a story so it was a huge privilege and a huge gift to be in that school because it was allowed to go within and listen to the narration of your body it was pretty
0: incredible yeah I um you know I felt um like going to myself I um my first certificate was in massage therapy and I felt like becoming a massage therapist was such a healing experience, that education. And then, you know, being um, a dancer and getting uh, my degree in dance, like that felt like such a incredible, like self exploration as well. And so when I heard about this program, I was just like, oh my gosh, it seems like you were able to get Um, what we often hear this narrative of like mind, body, spirit, and I was like, okay, but here it is. Like, it's so laid out. (laughs) Um, and I can only imagine that the people going through the program were going through an incredible amount of healing themselves in addition to like all this learning and how to facilitate and like help other people go
1: through it. Do you still
0: use, um... Practices from that time in your work now?
1: Very much so, yes. And I use a combination of things too because in some ways being able to do the program was incredible. To learn how to teach it was incredible, but then taking it out into the world was challenging because then that was the next kind of jumping place to go into psychology because I couldn't understand yet the relationship between body keeps a score or body has the mythology of one's life and one's ancestry. And if there's trauma that is accumulated and not addressed in a healthy way, a person will not want to get into their bodies. So I was really curious. Okay, I want to take this into the world, but wait a second. Most of the world are not willing to get in the body because once they get, when they get in the body, they realize how hard that feels or how difficult that feels or how scary that feels or how challenging or sad that feels. So I want to know about that. So I went into understanding, okay, I need to understand how the mind holds information, how the psychology works. Why are people getting in some ways stuck in these places? Um then I can enter that place doesn't mean that everybody can enter that place. So I need to understand why. So that kind of launched me to the next one. So yes, it was amazing. And made me, you know, gave me so many questions, gave me so many, many questions to still answer regarding that. Yeah.
0: It was like little breadcrumbs. It was like, <laughs> come
1: on, Claudia. <laughs> I feel my life is
0: that. <laughs> like, And now this.
1: Yes. Um, it truly feels like that spirit being like, okay, now you come, yep, come, 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 like a little bird. Okay, now we're gonna go this way. Now you're gonna get.
0: <laughs> um, and during that time, did you still continue with music?
1: Yes, I continue with music on and off throughout the whole time. Um, at times, giving it more more time and attention, always as a way to. It it, it continued, as I was doing all these studies, I was also immersing more in my Andean traditional healing techniques, right, from the Andes, from my lineage, and found a couple of really amazing teachers. So those teachers were really generous in giving me, kind of using or or saying, oh, you have some music skills, then use them here. Use them in, in the lineage as well. So they will invite me to sing, or lead from circles or sing in ceremonial circles and just gave me a space. So then that also, the music kind of started to to align in that way to these healing practices that were very uh, based on the traditional healings of where I come from. So it took this other, place. it wasn't just now classicals like at the beginning or Kodali bass, or it was more like this, oh, there's this richness in regards to culture and lineage and ancestry. So it kind of continues in that vein. And, and Yeah.
0: Had you always wanted to bring in your traditional medicines and healings that you knew? Or, or did it happen once you started becoming aware that you could reach back for it? I
1: think... I always had have, have my lineage very present because where I come from is every in everything. My family on my father's side of the family were from the Andes, from the this, you know, Aymara and Quechua from the Titicaca Lake area. And it's just what we do. Like I just went home a little bit ago and that's just it's in everything and it's shifted and changed now than it's in the cities, but this sentiment of music and dances and it's, it's a way we connect. There's this, these connections that we have with each other and with where we come from that is so strong that I think then is it's always been there as part of what I do in a natural way, you know, just just informing, like guiding in some ways, oh, this is the feeling, this is the feeling, just follow the feeling of that. And um, not very clearly until, you know, now I can talk about it. Maybe you asked me 10 years ago, i go, I don't know. <laughs> yes.
0: Yeah. Um, and with um, either like culture or heritage or appearance, Um, or language, did you ever feel like being a Peruvian woman from the Andes was um, celebrated or like it was not invited in the room? Or what was your experience with that in these different spaces?
1: In Peru or here or both? Both, yeah. My father and mother... um, were always, uh, they were very different than for their generation at their time. You know, they're both considered themselves atheists, for example, in a very affluent country. They went to, my mother was, you know, they were so fortunate. My father got a scholarship to go to Belgium when he was 23 to study at the university. My mom met him and they went to Europe. They were there met with and informed with a lot of um, the political movements that were happening in Europe and then coming into South America, you know, with the Cuban revolution. There was a wave of revolutionary people doing a lot of work for social justice in South America and all of South America. Peru was one of those countries. And my father and mother were very involved in that movement. Uh, In the 60s, in the 70s, my father was many times deported from the country in jail for social justice activism. My grandfather did too from in the Andes. My fa- grandfather was a lawyer in the Andes and finished university in the Andes and as well was incarcerated at different times for political activities. So by the uh, military government. So in some ways, because of that, I feel like I, I, I went to a school that was a, you know, very, um, where a lot of the, I guess, social movement, uh, families and children put their kids in. So the school was surrounded also with this movement. I remember doing strikes at my school in high school for teachers' rights and, you know, kind of being in that movement and voicing our our opinion uh, during high school at different times and debates and critical thinking was a big part of the education. So... I felt very proud of being indigenous, very proud. Now, that is not the case of every Peruvian. There is, as well in South America, a lot of internalized racism and a lot of communities then wish they were white and then they were more Spaniard and less indigenous. Um, from my mom's side of the family, we have more mestizo Spaniard blood as well. And for my father is more indigenous. So, but I... I felt so proud because my parents felt so proud and I come from a family that I felt so proud. So I never felt um, less uh, or more. I just felt very um, clear with what I identify with. But I did also defend it and, st- and was in a lot of dialogues while in Lima before coming here, defending indigenous rights and saying, uh, and, and voicing when A person that also had indigenous background will think they are more because they are whiter in their skin.
0: That was,
1: you know, that was something that we will will call on, we will call on. And here in the States, I just continue to be amazed on the learning, on the diversity and the intricacy and the complexity of so much so many venues venues, and lineages and histories with the uh, black communities, with the Native American in First Nation communities, with the Latino immigrant communities, with the Asian American communities. I mean, there's so much to learn. And I have felt if at times, uh, maybe, uh, if somebody has intended to exclude me by the color of my skin or where I come from, It hasn't been a huge impact because I think I have this legacy from home. But I also feel, um, especially in the last four years, the fear that our communities feel standing here and being here uh, with so much uncertainty for everybody's safety.
0: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, that answered all the questions. (laughs) Um, And when you were, um, when you finally, it seems actually weird to say, but um, when you started studying to become a therapist, um, because it feels like you were becoming a therapist the whole time, (laughs) it doesn't seem like there was this moment, How do you feel that experience was different for you than, say, somebody else going through that same program?
1: When I was doing the experience at the university? Mm -hmm. Is that what you mean? When I was doing the experience at the university?
0: Yeah. Like, how do you feel going um, through that program and the university was unique to you?
1: It was really hard <laughs> to be in that program. Um, it was a time when I, I, I started my master's program when I was 30 and I was already immersed on the teachings of the healing practices of the Andes and I didn't believe or agree with a lot of what I was being taught. And the school that I went to wasn't very diverse, even though they had a lot of a lot of pictures of BIPOC community on their website. Once you get into the building, there was nobody, but maybe 3%, 5% of BIPOC community there. Um and I felt very defeated at times, very defeated. I had one teacher at the university, Antonio Ramirez from Mexico. Um he was a psychologist, my cultural diversity teacher, an opera singer, and a psychic, and a healer himself. And I will cry to him every semester because I, I just didn't feel good about being at school and I wanted to quit every semester. Every semester, right as we were in the heat of it, I'll be like, I can't do this anymore. This is insane, this is crazy. I don't wanna learn this material. This doesn't make any sense, it's backwards. And the way they're addressing the material, the way they're addressing classes, and he will let me run in his office, over and over. He'll just be like, okay, come on in, talk, tell me. And I will cry and cry and tell him this is so unjust and this is so unfair. I don't want to do it. I feel trapped. I I got to get out of here. This is not what I want to do. <laughs> he will let me rant, rant, rant. And then eventually he'll say, okay, you're done. Well, we need you out there with this degree. So you <laughs> take a breath and keep going because you need to graduate from this program and come and rant at my, to my office anytime you need to. But we need you out there with a degree. We need you out there. And I'll be like, oh, okay. And then I'll make it through. And then the next semester will be the next, the same thing over and over. I mean, I graduated thanks to him. If he wasn't a mentor at the university or somebody at the university, I wouldn't have graduated. I will have quit the program because it was um, really challenging. I mean, I was working full time doing university and it was just really hard. Um Uh, for many reasons you know cultural reasons discrepancies about the schools of thinking um the way they were addressing assignments and still um i'm grateful i did it (laughs) so grateful
0: (laughs) you know i hear you say that and um i have done the same for friends and and for myself i think you know where people were just falling apart, feeling unseen, Um, their perspective not demonstrated in the education they were receiving, various things, and me being like, you're 100% right, and it's never gonna change if we don't complete and finish this. And if we can't critique it from the inside, it doesn't count. So, you know, if you feel like you can survive it, we have to. And that, you know, those are the kinds of um, experiences and pressures. And not to say that people that are from a part of the dominant culture don't have their own stressors mm-hmm. and don't have their own objections and mm-hmm. like um, moments in time that are really, really challenging. But to feel like your experience and existence isn't supported in those environments is usually not it. You know, Mm -hmm. Um, there can be a lot of other really terrible things that happen, but. um, Yes. And I think that those are the kinds of um, additional burdens, you know, going through these very challenging programs. And then on top of it, to feel like, you know, Elements of your surface are being scraped off in the process.
1: <laughs> yes. Um,
0: are so difficult to convey, you know? Um, and yeah, and then now when you are working with people that are going through similar experiences, either in work or school environments or any environment, you can be like, I know that feeling. <laughs> I know that feeling. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um and so then how did you end up um because you started your uh or you did your MA in California?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Did yeah. you start practicing there?
1: I did I I did internship there for many years. Yes. Mm-hmm. And okay. then I eventually came here, but I did um completed I think I completed my 3000 hours in the Bay Area and then I went to Chico maybe more maybe about no then i went to chico california and then i continue there and um then i came here to portland
0: what brought you to portland
1: i um fell in love with somebody that was living here <laughs> and I... <laughs> um but before that I, I i went to peru i wanted to move back to peru i had um challenging experience with immigration actually then uh, made me go I think I'm going home (laughs) I think I'm done here and I went to Peru but thankfully thanks to a friend of mine that actually told me you've worked so hard your whole life to be where you are there's no way you can go just if you go back to Peru do it by choice not because you're fed up by this like truly through this like you deserve to have a choice around here i mean around this theme specifically of immigration so i came back and i tended to it and i went to several processes of of um hiring a lawyer and doing all kinds of things and then i got everything when everything uh, resolved um but in that process i ended up in portland because i was in peru going I'm leaving, (laughs) bye. And then I ended up coming to Portland and um, tending to all my immigration uh, paperwork that I needed to tend to here, hiring a lawyer about immigration, I mean immigration lawyer and getting everything kind of clear. um, Then I was here. And while I was doing the process, I started to work at the uh, Conexiones, at the Multicultural Center for Trauma Recovery And then Portland just said,
0: (laughs) keeping you. (laughs) Um, And so I really, I have been very interested in learning about trauma because I have to say that um, in chiropractic school, it's not something that's taught. And so if you want to know anything about trauma-informed care, you have to look for it yourself. And um, I don't know if things have changed, you know, Um, I hope they have, because I feel like it's extremely important if you're, you know, in any kind of healing arts to be trauma informed. Um, But at that point for you with all of your learning, um, what was it like working in that environment?
1: In in the environment of, healing the healing arts and therapy and trauma mm-hmm. yeah um when i was working at the multicultural center of trauma uh, recovery in in portland conexiones and doesn't exist anymore but was funded by a, by a by an amazing woman from venezuela um we were working i mean trauma informed was part of a um a basic training on how to be with healing, right? Techniques and and therapeutic approaches and trauma. But I realized that no matter how much knowledge of embodiment I had, how much um, techniques of different approaches and modalities I will use, even um, all the play and creative and art-based and theater-based techniques that I will use, there was something I, I wasn't fully understanding. And that took me kind of to the next training of trauma, trauma specialists through somatic experiencing, because I felt like I could do work with uh, the people I was working with, and then I will hit a ceiling. And then I couldn't pass the ceiling. No matter what I did, I couldn't pass the ceiling. And truly was because I needed more information regarding nervous system specifically about the, the physiology of the nervous system in the, in the human experience. And so that's, that was how I got to do this trauma specialization uh, to understand what was really happening in the... And it's beautiful, too, because with the Andean traditional healing, you work with the body, the physical body, the mental, psychological, emotional body, and the spirit body. And in some ways with the trauma uh, specialization, looking at specifically the nervous system for understanding trauma, the nervous system is the electrical signal that travels through the body. So we could say the nervous system, or I say, (laughs) I propose, then I am sure many other people has too. um, Then the nervous system is really the electrical, energetic, or the spirit moving through. Is this electrical source that we have? This electricity that moves through the body then either moves through and flows, or moves through and gets stuck because when we have trauma, our body, our physiology compresses and closes channels that should be open for life force energy to move through. So, I was fascinated by nervous system and spirit kind of be nervous system being kind of the glue that connects mind body and spirit and this 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 point of encounter where everything gets information from the physiology the mind the emotions the psychology spirit you know so um yeah it 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 guided me or infor- made me be like oh i'm so curious about that i want to learn more about that and and i did and that's mostly what i use now or maybe mostly not mostly, but is the basis of what I use. And then I, if on top of that, then I can, we can play with all these other elements and our movement, voice, theater, uh, talk therapy, walks, altar making, uh, different specific spirituality people practices, but it's really the nervous system that kind of is the base, understanding it is the basis of the work itself, it feels like, yeah yeah Mm -hmm. same
0: for body work (laughs) it all comes back down to the nervous system i feel like i'm always and i'll tell patients that i'll say i'm saying this to you but really i'm talking to your nervous system (laughs) you know um i want to build trust and you're part of it but i want to build trust with your nervous system you know so I'll actually call it in and be like "hello nervous system" <laughs> like I'm specifically talking to you. you know? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> so I find that um I find that so wonderful that even though you know we have such different um parts of healing that we work in that in our exploration we have kind of come to a
1: very similar conclusion. You know. Yes. So cool. That healing is <laughs> Amazing. It's fascinating. It's fascinating. Yes.
0: And so what's your practice look like now?
1: Now I have a private practice. I, uh, for the last three years, I see clients one-on-one. Most of the time I see people between three and six months every week, unless, you know, depending most, most people or some people every other week. And then after six months, uh, I hope they fire me. <laughs> That's my hope. <laughs> and um, because they don't need to come to therapy anymore, or because they, you know, they tell me maybe I can see you every two weeks, and then once a month, and then you know they feel they they go play with the tools they learn, and and they use me just as a reference point. So. Um, so I do that and I do groups. I'm wanting to do groups more, more and more now because I do want and feel, I do feel this information is so necessary to be in, is, um in some ways I I feel it should be open source. So everybody has access to this information and to ask questions and to try it because it's our birthright to understand our nervous system and how much that affects our ability to heal, transmute, transform, liberate, and exercise our life purpose and enjoy our life. So um, this year then is coming up, um, I'm wanting more and more to do groups to be able to maximize the ability to 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 share these tools, and to encourage people to do their own self healing processes, um, so that's that's kind of what my practice is looking like. is one on one and moving more, hopefully, this twenty twenty one towards uh, group work and more. I'm trying to figure out how to do some modules to to share the information in a in a way that it can be integrated as well. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. Um. You know, I'm reminded with you saying about the um, the magic of group work. I'm reminded of how I really became aware of your work, which was that I was trying to I was putting together workshops for the Black Indigenous and POC right. um, community here in Portland, and it Amazing. was so fun. Yeah, it was in um, conjunction with YGB, and um. I actually am not sure how I came across your information, but when I did, I was like, this this needs to happen, you know, and I brought you together with another sound healer, um, Nika. Yes,
1: yes. And
0: I, that day, people still talk to me about, and they're like, do you remember that day? with Claudia. (laughs) And I'm like, I I do. I was was definitely there. But, you know, it was such an incredible experience because um, a lot of the folks that were at this gathering were young Portland creatives. Um, All of them of all parts of our Black, Indigenous, and POC communities. Um, We brought them all together and they kind of didn't really know what we were going to be doing that day. You know, they knew it was a sound healing. Many had never experienced one. Mm -hmm. And I have to say, I've been in other sound healings, but I have never experienced a sound healing like yours. (laughs) I mean, people went in so Mm -hmm. genuinely so fast. Mm -hmm. and the lights were dim and we had candles and you all were playing music and I just remember like hearing people like literally like not even trying to quietly cry anymore like they were just like full out sobbing and just like I could feel them like hugging themselves you know and just like crying into their hands Mm -hmm. and I was sitting there and you know, curating, being kind of responsible for this experience, I was like, this is great. And then I was like, how are they gonna, <laughs> what are they gonna think of this after, you know? Um, and I had some people like step out of the room, you know, cause they were like, I didn't know this was gonna happen today. And I can't go here today because I have to be a little bit more hardened for this experience I'm having tomorrow or something. But they wouldn't leave the building they like wow. stayed just on the other side of the wall and they like, they still wanted to be there. And I don't even know if you knew about this, mm-hmm. but so there was like two or three people that were like, I can't be in there. She's taking me to places like I I can't right now. And I was like, okay, well, you know, feel free. Like you don't have to say, they were like, oh no. I mean, I'm staying. And I was like, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it was just, was it was beautiful. Such, a healing and beautiful. Experience. Mm-hmm. And I loved it that they were willing to be like, I can't be right in the eye of the storm, but like I can be out here and still beautiful. feel it, right? And still know that this is happening and hold space for it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was such an incredibly healing experience and day. And mm-hmm. I remember thinking, like for a lot of people, this was their first experience like that. But I was thinking for you, like you host many of these things frequently. <laughs> so how is that for you to like be able to create these spaces where like you tap into things that are just so, we were even singing songs in languages that they didn't understand, <laughs> right? And so I was very moved because I knew the words. Mm-hmm. They were just moved because of what was getting stirred up. And I was like, Claudia's a powerful witch.
1: I love this. Todas
0: What are those experiences like for you when you get to host um, events like that? Hmm.
1: I don't... I'm not... Um, it it feels like it's an experience that happens and then it moves through. So, in, it's it's a delicate delicate. Um, it's, it's it's related to what we were saying. It's almost like and this is this is what happens in ceremony, right? Ceremony, what is ceremony? Ceremony is a specific structure with a specific meaning. Then it's going to invite. The unconscious to move a little bit, hopefully not too fast, but enough that it can be felt towards the surface, so some healing can happen, some opening, some release, some letting go, some inner, inner deeper breath can happen. So it feels like in some ways, when we enter those ceremonial spaces of sound healing, for example, we're entering the nervous system of of the organism we are together of this bigger organism than we are when we come together as a group. And it feels so delicate and so um, pristine, and it needs such a kindness and tenderness, and it needs such a loving, genuine care, because if we are given the space, to relax, if we are given the space to feel safe, we will relax. And if we relax, we will heal. And so it's an honor to hold or support that for the community. It's an honor. It's a huge responsibility too because it's a delicate piece. It's like our unconscious opens, our nervous system opens, and we can imprint powerful visions of hope, healing as well as intensity so we want to be as delicate as we are able to so it feels i think it's always a a relationship with how exciting it is and there's always a part of me that goes oh, okay i hope i do this. i hope i can do this i mean you know always exists within that edge of uh even a little bit of resistance before it, and then once it happens, it's like okay, it's just it just it has an intelligence of its own, and if if I can attune to that intelligence in a good way, then hopefully, then it can move through me and us and do its healing breath. You know, so it's, it's like a like the art of that in itself. I feel is an art. You know, the practice of that and am humble every time by the movement that happens as well as um, it always just passes because it's not me is the intelligence of the nervous system, which in some cultures we could say is intelligence of spirit, whatever you want to call it, <laughs> you know, is there is an intelligence moving through and uh, if we can hold it together or just have a few people and just hold it kindly, then it can move through and thus it's, um, Liberation dance, you know, which then helps us uh, be a little more present right in the now this now so yeah
0: <laughs> well, I have to say being on the experiencing end, I definitely um, can feel your care hmm. and um, and your gentleness because it was it was definitely um a beautiful moment to share with so many people and so many strangers. You know, mm-hmm. I was so, I was so taken that so many strangers were willing to go into such soft spaces
1: yes. together. Yes,
0: and I was just like, this is amazing. <laughs> it
1: was a gift. It's a gift. Yes. it, was, it yeah. really
0: was a gift. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was thinking maybe it was two years before that, that you came out with your album
1: with Alma. Mm-hmm. Yes. Wow. In 2017. Yes.
0: Great. Yeah. Yes. It's a beautiful album. Oh, um, thank you. <laughs> you listening, you can find it on Spotify and all of your, all of your music sources and yes. even on YouTube. Where you can yes. Um, yes. watch it. Um, and I loved it. Like, um, I especially loved the titles of the songs. Mm. Um, they felt like they were very lovingly chosen. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> um, what inspired you to record the album?
1: Mm. These are songs that I have had for a long time, and that have come many of them in uh, ceremonial circles, where, you know, my teachers will say, Sing or or just have a space to play, and songs will come. Kind of like the same the same feeling of like, and then a song will happen. And then if I was lucky, I will remember it. <laughs> or, you know, or or I will write it down, or it will come repetitively. And I just had this feeling. I wanted to have. I wanted to the songs be out. You know, just then. It, making a CD was such a challenging scary process because it was so vulnerable to bring these songs and were so dear to the world and all the uh, negotiations or the, the different layers of well, what about if nobody likes them? What about if they go bad? What about if it goes wrong? What millions of negotiations internally and just going with, well, take a breath and You never know if you don't do it. Like, you'll never know what will happen if you don't do it. Like, you're so scared because you've never done it. And once you do it, you might be less scared, but you don't know. And just, it's normal. You feel scared and do it anyways. (laughs) So it came like that. And uh, there's another CD coming that is in the process. It's taking a lot longer. There's a third CD already. You know, songs keep coming. And so it's part of also this practice of, Recording them and releasing them uh, with um, with humbleness too, right? Like they're just an offering. People might love them or they might not. It's just an offering of of love of, of a moment. It speaks of something that felt important in a moment, and then it can it can travel. And somebody might hear it and go, "Oh, I've." It helps me, or it inspires me, or it gives me joy um but it's um it's a again it's a living a song is a living breath, it's a living prayer, so they should be out there in the world doing their thing, you know <laughs> they shouldn't be kept here, they should be out there in the world, so yeah,
0: well, I agree they are definitely delightful to listen to, and it was. It was such a gift. I was like, "Oh, it's like having a little bucket, Lobia, to like go <laughs> with me."
1: <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> That's so great.
0: <laughs> oh, oh Olivia, thank you so much for coming on the podcast and chatting and sharing your your vision for healing and um, and therapy and trauma recovery. Um, I really, I really appreciate your perspective, and I've definitely benefited from all of all of the learnings that you have done through your life. Um, It's wonderful to be on the receiving end of that.
1: Monserrat, thank you so much for the invitation, and what an incredible project! What a beautiful um, offering you're giving to the community, bringing all these uh, stories and all these paths together with this common purpose of inspiring and and really humanizing this experience of being, becoming, um, we're, we're really not that different from each other. Mm-hmm. So what a beautiful project and you birthing and I, I I just feel so honored to have been invited. Thank you.
0: Oh, yeah. thank you, I'm so glad. Yeah, it only happens because all of you decide to come and, and share your stories with me. So I, I super appreciate it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I am uh, I know you have a number of projects that you will be working on in this coming 2021.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, do you want to share any of those in case people are interested in working
1: with you? Yes, yes. Um, in February 2021, I will be uh, offering two classes, two group classes. These are... Um, they are um, with the intention of sharing tools for people to do their own self-healing practices. So they are coming from a therapeutic perspective, but also from a perspective of uh, the Andean traditional techniques that I use in my everyday and in my practice. So the first one is uh, called Andean Techniques for Trauma Recovery. And it will be a seven-week class, two hours each week. Um in the afternoon to practice these techniques to actually learn these techniques and then uh, hopefully invite people to practice them and have them as a regular practice for self-care and understanding aspects of the body, the mind, emotions, the spirit, altar making song as well. um, And uh, how to use uh, some protection work when you are in your everyday, as well as understanding uh, uh, boundaries and how that works energetically with that which we come in contact with. And then the second class will be um, a, a class based on healing tools for healers. So people that are practitioners already, therapists, therapists, a massage therapists, practitioners in the health field in the medical field in the field of, of mental health uh, to gather tools to understand how to protect themselves and tend to themselves when they are working one-on-one or with groups of people um, to do again an invitation for self-care so the better care we can take care of ourselves as practitioners the better service we can give to the people will work with. So those two will be in February and they will be on my website as well as in my Instagram account.
0: Great. And where can people find you online?
1: Uh, my website is claudiacuentas.com. My uh, therapeutic, the one for therapy is healingeverystep.com. I also have an Instagram account called claudiacuentas77. Um, I have a Facebook music account as well, claudiacuentasmusic. So different, and you can always call me (laughs) or write me an email. (laughs) Yes, I'm here, I'm local. Excellent, that's wonderful. And um,
0: for our last question, I'd like to know, what brings you joy, Claudia?
1: Connecting with people, (laughs) yes. Just hearing about people's stories, um, talking about a golden thread, of people's lives, that makes me, gives me joy of of hearing how people are finding ways to be, becoming who they are. Um, Birds, I love birds, they bring me so much joy. Flowers bring me so much joy. Music, um, yes. Um, And nowadays also as these uh, holidays are happening and New Year is coming, being able to connect with family from peru via these technologies that we have it's just such an incredible gift to actually even though we're so far away to still be able to see each other and hear each other and and even cook together you know in some ways so yeah that brings me so much joy yeah that sounds
0: wonderful <laughs> yes Oh, well, thank you so much for sharing with us today. Mm. And um, for anybody listening, go on com to get more information about all of her offerings mm-hmm. um, and go check out her music. It's really incredible if you ever have the opportunity to see her live uh, once we are all vaccinated. I don't know. <laughs> um, <laughs> Uh, once, once this pandemic um, mm-hmm. has uh, lost its first, then hopefully we can all share in this beautiful music and healing with Claudia.
1: Yes, thank you so much, Gralvia, for, for having me. Thank you.
0: Thank you. All right, everyone, that's our show for today. Please follow us on Instagram and TikTok. And if this episode hit home for you, let us know. We would love to hear how these stories reach you. Hey Doc Podcast is recorded at the Portland Center Stage Digital Streaming Studio with the AV Engineering, logo design, website, theme music, and editing all done by the incomparable Jonas Angelette, and invaluable technical savvy of Katie Wen and Greg Lee. Instagram and TikTok management is brought to you by the fantabulous Jen Thompson. And if you want to see the faces of these BIPOC docs, you can watch the podcast on HeyDoc podcast website, and you can listen on all of your favorite podcast streaming sources. Check out our fun posts of your favorite BIPOC docs on the Instagram page and watch them bust and move on TikTok. Thank you for every listen, share, like, and emoji. I am super grateful to all of you that tune in to listen and to all the wonderful docs that come share their stories. See you next time, friends.